So we've been going through this series called Free, which Adam talked about. We have the board in the back, which I'll mention later. And, and up to this point, starting at Easter, we've talked about how the resurrection, because of Jesus and his resurrection, we've been, we've been set free from our past. We've been set free from performance. And last week, we talked about being set free from guilt. And, and I would say a lot of those are, uh, okay, they're, they're here in our lives, right? And now we're here, and, and we're in the current situation moving forward. What does that look like? And, and, and what does it mean for us in our daily lives to be, to be free from those things? And what's interesting about, you know, being, you know, our past and, and our performance and, and our guilt is, is the gospel says you're free because of God's love for you and because of Jesus and his resurrection. And religion would say you still need to carry those things around. You still need to work them off. You need to go to more Bible studies. You need to go to more church. You need to pray more. You need to be a better person so you can rid yourselves of these things. And, and like we try to talk about over and over again here in the gospel is that because of the resurrection, those things are in the past now. And you've been set free because of Jesus and his love for you and his sacrifice and, the, and God accepting that sacrifice as, as, uh, and cleansing us from our sins and our past and our performance, we can move forward in freedom. So what I'm trying to talk about today is, okay, we've been set free from past performance and guilt, but we've been set free to something as well. And, and in short, we've been set free to be happy. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you probably have a knee-jerk reaction to that, like, I don't know if I'm allowed to be happy. Right? I mean, if you think about it, if somebody was like, well, because you're a Christian, you're free to be happy, I know for me at least, I'm immediately like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Like, that sounds like Joel Olstein kind of like health and wealth gospel, where it's just going to be like, hey, God just wants your best. He just wants you to be happy. And it's like, no, no, I've got to work harder than that. Right? I mean, like, it's just intuitive in us, especially if you've grown up in the church, to think, ah, I'm not allowed to be happy. So... For those of you in the room who are you know, Christ followers, you've grown up in the church, let me say today, you're allowed to be free to be happy. God wants you to be joyful. It's one of his characteristics that he, he makes us in his image. He wants you to be joyful. But it's rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in the freedom that comes from the resurrection. And right, we, like, we know this as Christians. We know that we're supposed to be happy, right? Like, just... You're like, well, Jesus died for my sins, and someday I go to heaven, so I guess I'm supposed to be happy. If we're honest, right? I mean, this is how we go about our lives. We think, okay, we have doctrine. We have the belief that Jesus died for my sins, and he was resurrected. I'm now purified of my sins. Fast forward to the end of life, and we're like, okay, and someday I get to go to heaven. In the meantime, what? What is life supposed to look like? And that's kind of what I'm trying to go after today, is the freedom that comes to be happy, to be joyful, to be content, to work through suffering and, and, and face it with, with joy and perseverance in the gospel. So, you need to know this about me. Uh, my wife can attest to this. She's known me forever. Uh, in high school, I was voted moodiest in my class. Now, I... I did campaign for it a little bit uh, around the lunchroom. I told people, vote for me or I'm going to hurt you. Um, it's a joke. It, it did happen, but the people understood I was kidding. So it was me and this other girl, and if you look in my yearbook, there's a picture of me standing there with my arms folded, miserable look on my face, and she had the same uh, look on her face. 
And because I was an angry person. I was just angry. I asked my mom recently, I said, am I like my son Jimmy? And she said, yeah, he's a, he's a lot like you. He's just not as angry. And it was like, man, I really was. I was just ticked off, uh, even through my you know, young adult years. And I was angry at the things I saw around me. I was disappointed by things I saw, by things I experienced. I was cynical of the church and of Christians, of the hypocrisy that I saw. And really, a lot of it was rooted in my own hypocrisy. A lot of it was rooted in my own pain, which I'll share about in a little while. So I, am, I understand this, okay? Like, I, I have lived enough to be disappointed and to suffer and to go through things and, and, and not be happy all of the time. So here's what I think. I think, I think there's three kinds of people... You know, there's always more, right? I'm a preacher. I'm trying to boil it down. I think there's probably three kinds of people in the world that we encounter. We're in the church, out of the church. I'm not saying any separation. There's three kinds of people we, we, we encounter. Angry people, okay? This is like our go-to emotion in the Northeast. I don't know if you've noticed this, if you've traveled much in the country, but particularly in, in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, there's just this, this cynicism and this, this bitterness and this hostility to the world around us. I mean, think about it. I was thinking about when I met people at my son's baseball game for the first time. I'm like, how's it going? Fine. Middle of a divorce. I'm, I want to kill my ex. I'm like, all right. Like, this is, this is our first conversation, right? You know, well, what else is going on? My job's terrible. You know, another guy. Uh, you know, Donald Trump. I can't stand him. You know, like, it's just negative. Like, it just, it is our go-to thing when, when people start talking to us particularly in the Northeast, that, that this anger starts to come out, this unhappiness starts to come out. And, and honestly, we're comfortable with it, right? Like, if you walked in a room and you were just jovial and happy, people were like, what's up with the weirdo? Like, right? I mean, particularly in the Northeast. So, why? It's because we all have disappointment in common. Like, this is, it's just something that flows through our lives, and we, and we start to resonate with it, and we start to have it in common. We're like, well, I know we can all complain together. Like, it's, this is what people do. So I think there's complaining, you know, angry people. And then I think on the other side of things, I think there are plenty of positive people in the world. Right? There are people who, you know, this is the good vibes people. Right? I'm sending you good thoughts. I'm, I'm just going to take everything as, as, hey, this is just the universe. Like, this is just what happens, and it's good, and I can be good, and I can be at peace with this and everything. I like these people. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. I, I, I think it's, it's a good mindset to try and have. But what I found is, is that it's pleasant, but it's powerless. Okay, when, when faced with real suffering, with, with real hurt, with a real depth of pain, there, it's not rooted in anything other than self-will. And you've got to will yourself into this, and you've got to will yourself into being positive, and to being happy, and to being joyful. And then finally, I think we can probably all resonate with this. I think there are people who wear masks. Who we we do this in the church so much. Who we can't admit that we're unhappy. We can't admit that circumstances might be bad in you know our marriage. We can't admit that maybe our kids are, are struggling with something, or we have a wayward child. We can't we can't admit that you know we're, we're not doing good at work. We're probably going to lose our job. So we put on a mask and we say, we're good. We're good. Everything's fine. We come to church and we shake hands and we, how's it going? Great. And we go home. And it's a mask that we hide behind. And so what I'm trying to go after today is that because of the resurrection, 
because of, of new creation that has started in Jesus at the resurrection, that, that we can have happiness. And what I would say, what I would suggest is that we all want this deep inside of us. We all want to be joyful. We don't want to be angry. We don't want to, be, uh, we don't want to hide masks, and we don't want to fake it. We want true depth of joy and happiness. And I would say it's a longing to go back to the garden, to, to go back to what was lost with Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned. Here's what I think. There's three things that we long for. Innocence, to be like God again, and self-worth. All right, so think about Adam and Eve. Totally innocent, naked as a jaybird, like just loved each other, loved God, loved creation, and managed it. They had no, no uh, self-conscious issues, like no past. They were just totally free and totally innocent before God until sin came in the world. I think it's something that we all long for. They were, they were like God. They were created in his image. They had intimacy with him. They could communicate with him. He communicated with them. They, they communicated with one another. They were real in every sense of the word. They were pure with one another. And they had self-worth. They knew what God wanted them to do. Name the animals, tend the garden, procreate, like fill the world, and just be in relationship with each other and with him. You, think, you know, you think of like they had a job. They had, they had achievements that they could live for and honoring God. They had to tend the garden. So I think, I know this is a long intro, but I'm trying to set up that I think this is something in all of us that we want joy and deeply rooted in that is the desire to go back to how we were with God in the beginning and how we were with one another in the beginning. So this is sort of the, the, the big idea for today is that the resurrection has restarted new creation, or it's restarted creation. It's brought about a new creation. The fall ended the goodness of creation, and Jesus' resurrection to new life brings new creation. Adam prayed about it earlier. We get to be agents of new creation. We get to work alongside of Jesus to expand his kingdom. And, and as gospel people, we can take part in that. When we're set free by the resurrection, we can be part of new creation. This is, for those of you who grew up in the church, this is life after the doctrine of justification. Okay, We're justified by Jesus' death and resurrection. We're made righteous before him, and now we get to live into new creation. And in that, we find happiness. So I want to look at a couple different ways that we find this. And I think these are, I don't know how to say this, because I didn't want to be like, three steps to happiness by Jim. Like, I, I didn't want that. But, so I try to say this. It's three ways you can have unshakable happiness, truly and deeply happy if you're committed to these. If you commit to these, these practices in life, you'll find true joy because of the resurrection. So the first is this, confession. You're like, great, a sermon about happiness, and now we're talking about confessing our sins. Right, I am. So I think, I truly believe that confession leads to a happy life, that it leads to a depth of joy that can't be stolen, can't be taken away, because we have a clean conscience again before God and before man. It's something that everyone wants. If you look into the depths of your soul, you will find that you want a clean conscience, Look at me at 1 John. If, if you have your Bibles, if not, I can read it. John writes this letter, and, and I've read this many times. It's a short little book. But in 1 first, first John uh, chapter 1, verse 5, he's talking about walking in the light. Listen to what he says. This is the message we have heard from him, meaning Jesus, and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him... 
yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Now, I, traditionally, I have read this letter in a very condemning sense. That it's like, you better walk in the light, otherwise you are in the dark. And, and you terrible, sinful person, making light of the cross, you're a liar. And I read it like with this really nasty tone. And, and what I started to realize after studying this again and, and, and reading this over and over again, I realized that it's not a beatdown. <laughs> like, it's not meant to, to make us feel terrible and, and to have all this guilt again. It, it's, like, it's like inviting somebody into a pool saying, come in, the water's warm. What he's saying is, come into the light, it's good. Come into the light where Jesus is. If, if you're staying and not confessing sins and you're living out here, you're living in the dark, and that's bad. You don't want to be there. You want to be in the light with Jesus. I think, I think this is a lot of the reason why Christians wear masks and why a lot of the Christians remain uh, unhappy and, and bitter, angry, because we're living in the dark still. We understand the doctrine of justification, that we've been set free from our sins, but we still live in the chains of our sins. We still live in the darkness. Here's why. Jesus is in the light. If you want to think about it this way, Jesus is in the light. Our enemy, the devil, is in the dark. And he loves when we keep things in the dark because he can control us there. We're still shackled to it there. But if we start to bring things into the light, he can't come. He does not want to be where Jesus is. And we confess things. When we, when we bring things to the Lord, when we confess things in fellowship with other believers, the devil can't go there and he can't control it anymore. So this is very different than just the doctrine of, well, I've, got, I've been saved, and someday I go to heaven. This is, I've been saved, now I get to live free in the light. And you have to choose to move into that through confession. So, I'll share this, uh, just about my own life. I was saved at a young age. Came to know Jesus, had missionary relatives. You know, my grandfather was on the elder board at church. Like, I grew up in the church. I was a good Christian kid, right? And, you know, kind of meandered back and forth in my life. But I knew I was going to heaven someday. But my life was miserable. And my life was full of pain and, and hypocrisy. Here's why. And it's, it's fitting that the majority of kids are out of the room today. Uh, I struggled with pornography for years. I never told anybody. I kept it in the dark, right? I wore that mask because I don't want anybody to see this. I don't want anybody to know this about me because I'm a good Christian. I'm not supposed to do this. So I'm not going to tell anybody about this. And I struggled with this for years until finally... I was, I was in a group uh, with some guys, and this guy shared that he had the same problem. And I saw the freedom that he had in his life. Now, both of us were justified before Jesus. Both of us were going to heaven when we died. But one of us was living in freedom. One of us was living in slavery. And what Jesus told me was, if you truly want to be happy, if you really want to live in the depth of my joy 
you've got to bring this out of the dark. You can't hide in this anymore. That's where the devil is, in the dark. You need to bring this into the light and live in freedom. So I think it was like probably like nine, ten years ago, I had to confess to my wife, which was horrendous, was terrible, and, and it took us years to work through that. I had to confess to some friends so they could walk with me. You know, get your accountability partners, right? But people who, would, who I could call on, who I could say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm being tempted today. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? And it's a constant confession, right? It was when you're weak in something, you've got to constantly bring it to the light. I found that, that sin is like a beach ball, that like you can hold it under the water for so long, but eventually it pops up, right? And you've got to keep killing it. You've got to keep letting the air out of it. And you do that through confession. And here's why I say this, church, because... When you confess and you move things into the light, whether it's bad habits, bad marriages, you know, bad kids, like job situations, finances, like debt, like all these things, abuse, past things, when we bring them into the light, Satan cannot control you anymore. You've been set free by the resurrection to be part of new creation, and you move into the light by confession. So my encouragement is, if, if you want to be happy, like if you want to live in, in the now of the resurrection for this life, not just heaven someday, but now, it's found, it starts in confession. It starts in bringing things into the light. No more skeletons in the closet. That's what I wrote on the board back there today. I'm free from the skeletons in my closet. Like, you know my dirt now, right? Like, I don't care what you think anymore. I really don't. Because I feel like I care what Jesus thinks. I'm free. Which is a back-to-the-garden type, clean conscience, innocence before God and man. And, and it's something that I, I, can't, I can't exhort you enough in this, that Christians can live happy and free lives if they would get rid of the masks and just say, this is who I am. This is who I am. And Jesus loves me. He loves me and accepts me. He wants to change me, which brings me to the second thing. If we, if we want to live in the power of the resurrection, the freedom of the resurrection, we will be, we will be conformed to Christ's image. We'll start to look like him. We will desire to look like him. I mean, think about Jesus. Like, we're all gathered here, right, to proclaim Jesus, to worship him. If you think about him, incredibly meek, yet incredibly powerful, miracle-working, you know, God-infused, spirit-led, you know, miracle after miracle, healing people, speaking truth, exhorting boldly, confronting religion, on and on, Don't we want to be like him? Isn't he the greatest human, the fullness of humanity to ever walk the earth? We would want to be like him, right? There's fullness of life in there. There's happiness in that. So I want to look at what it looks like to be conformed to Christ and how it leads to a happy life. I'm going to ask this question first. Okay. Jesus wants us to be happy. He wants us to have fullness of joy. What the heck do we do with suffering? What do we do with pain? When Adam was talking about, you know, this day being hard for people, like Jess and I have three kids now, but we went through a long time of not being able to get pregnant. Like that was an incredibly painful time for us to watch everybody else around, you know, go through like having, you know, baby after baby. And we're like, man, God, why won't you do this for us? It's like suffering is real. Pain is real. What do we do with it then? And I would say that the answer is to, to go through suffering, understanding that it's making us into the image of Christ. And it's making us into his likeness and in that finding happiness in the fullness of life. Look at me at Romans uh, 8.28. This is, Romans 8.28 is like the go-to verse for someone who's suffering. 
right? Tim Keller says, you take this out of the blessing box, right? And you're like, all right, I'm just going to tell you this right now. Like, I know you're having a hard time at your job, but we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Like, it's all going to be fine. It's just going to be good. Don't worry about it. God works it together for good. The truth is, there's a lot more in this verse than just some feel-good blessing box, like put it on a poster, put it on the fridge type verse. He most certainly says, Paul most certainly says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Okay? Someday, in, in all of the totality of history, when it comes to a conclusion, we will, be underst- we will be able to understand better some of what has happened. Okay, the reason that the puzzle was woven together the way that it was by God, we'll be able to see his good purpose in all of it. But for now, look at what he says in verse 29. God's going to work all these things together. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. He predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. This glorification that comes in the future when we're made completely like Jesus, Paul's declaring it. It's happened. It's like He's so sure of it, he's saying it's happened already. So in real life, when we face trials and tribulations, what do we do? Do we just pretend that they're not real? Do we try to hide or no? Paul, Paul indicates, I mean, you look at the end of this passage in verse 8, I mean, in chapter 8, he's saying this is very real. You know, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or anger or, or danger or sword? He's admitting that pain is real. He's admitting that famine's going to come, that danger's going to come, that swords are going to come, that persecution's going to come. So what do we do about it? What do we do with this? If we want to be happy... We want to be joyful. Well, I think we have to look to that verse 29, that that we are being conformed to Christ's image. And we have to come to a place where we believe that everything that happens comes through God's hands first, which certainly gets us into the question of evil. I'm not even going to come close to scratching the surface on that today. But when we come to a place where we believe that God allows things to happen and that it's for our good and for his glory and we can be made into his image we start to find joy in it that can't be taken away because we're being made like the Jesus that we worship. Uh, there's a, I encourage you to listen to this. There's a, a sermon by Tim Keller. I know I, I went after him last week. I'm going to do it again this week because he's amazing. But he has a sermon called Happiness. And he says in there, I'm going to read this quote. He says, God doesn't promise better circumstances. He promises a better life. Think about the difference there. He doesn't promise better circumstances. He promises a better life. Jesus didn't suffer so you wouldn't have to. He suffered so that when you suffer, you become like him. We serve a suffering servant high king who walked in our shoes, who knows what it looks like to suffer. And when we suffer, we become like him. When we give our spirit to him to guide us. So for me, this is what this has looked like. Just a couple different examples. You know, like, you know, we could go with, whatever, I'll say this. I, I worked at a job that I hated for a couple years, just hated it. Like, Sunday night would come, and I was miserable. Like, I did not want to go to work the next day. 
And, and I just prayed over and over again. I'm like, Lord, you know, you have, you, you sent me to a Christian college for four years. I've been overseas, you know, for a year. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to be in ministry. I want to work in a nonprofit. Like, I want to do something good for humanity. And I'm working at this dumb plumbing job. Like, why do you have me here? And, and God really clearly to me one day just, you know, in my head, in my head says, where else can you learn what I need you to learn? And it wasn't condemning. It wasn't, you idiot, you need to learn something. It was, I'm shaping you. I'm conforming you to my image. And let me tell you something. I, I did two years of customer service at this place on the phone with angry customers who, who would call and say, it was this really expensive faucet company, like $1,000 faucets that we sold. And, and people would call and say, this faucet's terrible, you're the worst, I hate you, I wish you'd die. Like, 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 it was crazy. Two years of that. It was great. Loved it. No. I hated it. But, but what I learned was, I learned to take abuse. And, and I learned to, to hear hard things from people. And I learned to be confident. I learned to be meek. I learned to accommodate when I needed to and compromise when I needed to. And a lot of which prepped you for ministry, let me tell you that much. Um, but it, it, was, it was making me a little more into the image of Jesus. And in the end, it, it leads to joy. It leads to a happy life. And the second thing, I'll give you a more kind of day-to-day thing. The other day, I think I talked last week about waiting in lines and how much I hate it. Well, again, it happened this week. And I'm in line at CVS waiting to get a prescription for this stupid cold that I have, and I pull in line in the drive-thru, and there's, there's one car in front of me. I'm like, all right, this shouldn't take that long. Well, like five minutes later, I'm like, for the love of Pete, like, let's go. Like, what is happening? And, and if you can picture this, there's, there's a guy about my age, maybe a little older, in the driver's seat, and there's an old man in the back passenger seat. And the young guy in the driver's seat keeps turning around and talking to the old guy, and then he's talking to the lady at the counter. And then he's at, back to the old guy, and the old guy's leaning forward, and he's yelling inside. And, and what I realize is, like, I don't know if this guy's all together, but this guy's, the young guy's trying to help the old guy. He's trying to get him his medicine. They're trying to you know, straighten things out with CVS. And, and I felt like Jesus was like, don't you see that the love that's happening here? You're so worried about where you need to be. You're being so impatient. Don't you see that, that this son is caring for his father? This is a kingdom value at work right in front of you, and you're resenting it, and you're being impatient. And I was like, oh, yeah. And in that moment, I a little bit more shaped into the, the, the person of Christ, you know, that image of Christ. So this is in small things. This is in big things, like big suffering, small suffering, little inconveniences and frustrations in jobs, in our daily lives, and little things, big things, that, that we can give ourselves over to the power of the resurrection, to the power of the Holy Spirit, to shape us into Jesus' image. So, we will only be happy when we look like Christ. We will only be truly happy with the joy that can't be taken away when we face life looking like Jesus. And we can only do that through the power of his resurrection, and that can't be taken away. If you look at the end of this, this passage in chapter 8 of Romans Paul says, you're going to face these things, but who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's saying when you go through suffering, when you're made to look like Christ, God is with you, he's for you, he loves you, and it can't be taken away. It cannot be taken away. So we can go through life as conquerors now and for eternity. It's not just a future tense, it's now as well. Okay, last thing. Confession, conformity, and I went old school, I named all three with C's, our commission, okay? Our commission leads us to a happy life. If you want to turn there now, we're going to look at uh, Philippians and look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in this letter, is writing from a prison. And he's writing to this church that he loves. Adam, Adam and I were talking about this week. It's probably a prison that he was paying for himself. He needed to pay to reside there. This guy, depending on where you date this letter, has been beaten, left for dead, thrown out of towns, abandoned by his friends, shipwrecked, whipped, persecuted. Like, he's had a, what I would call a miserable life. Just a hard life. And here he is in prison and over and over again, 12 different times in this letter. You know what word he uses? Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice with me. Rejoice because when this guy comes to you, rejoice and celebrate. Like It's over and over again. It permeates this letter. Do you know why? Because he lived for the gospel. He lived for the advancement of the gospel. And all those things that he went through paled in comparison to living for the gospel. That was his measure of success. Look at me at Philippians 1. I'll get there. So in Philippians 1, Paul writes this letter right in the very beginning in verse 3. So remember, Roman prison, hard life, he says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He goes on, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's like got this positive attitude about it, like it's a good thing. This is fine that I'm in prison. It served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And he goes on and he says some other things. Then in verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yet, yet, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And he goes on and on and on about this. He's overjoyed because the gospel is advancing. That's how he measures success in his life. It's not by what the world says good achievements are. It's not by the amount of money in his bank account. It's, it, it's, it, like, it's all about the advancement of the gospel. And then if you read on in this letter, you see that he, he says, you know what? All my accomplishments, all the good things that the, the, you know, the religious world thinks that I have, all of my achievements, my pedigree, it means nothing 
compared to knowing Jesus and compared to making him known. So, uh, Christian, I, I would say that, and I would suggest that if we truly want to be happy, we will start measuring our lives differently. We will look at what somebody like the Apostle Paul measures, like James measures, like Jesus calls us to, the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus. To proclaim his victory, to proclaim his resurrection and new creation and be co-agents with Jesus in new creation, making his victory known to the world. So that you can get to the end of the day and be like, yeah, my, my job stinks. Really not digging it. But I'm being made in the image of Christ and you know what, I got to pray with somebody today. That's a victory. I get to proclaim freedom in my life today to my neighbor. That's a victory. That's what achievement looks like in, gospel, in the gospel economy, really. I have a, I mean, I know a family who, let's start that over. I'm going to give real life examples of this, okay, so you don't think I'm saying, like, everyone needs to go and be a pastor. Everyone needs to be, go and be a missionary. That, that's not at all what I'm trying to say. I know a family who, they decided not to play travel baseball because it would take up too much time out of their schedule, and they didn't have time for community. They didn't have time for their neighbors. They didn't have time to bring the gospel to bear in their neighborhood. That's a hard decision to make, especially in our sports-driven culture. It's hard to make that decision because we're like, well, my kids got to play, got to play everywhere, got to be in everything, so that someday they can get a scholarship and everything will be okay. Like, there's a whole mindset in there to delve into, but, you know, the point is, these people felt like Jesus was calling them to advance the gospel more in their neighborhood and it would come at the expense of playing travel. Simple example, right? I had another friend who was a, was a lawyer at a, at a great firm in Philly. He's brilliant, competent, and was moving up the ranks. And eventually he said to me, he's like, I can't do this anymore. One, they want me to sell my soul. And two, I will never see my family. I will never be able to do any you know, church ministry. He's an elder at a church. He's like, I, I just, I have no time anymore. They want so much from me. Well, think about it. Like, big lawyer, big firm, good money, right? Achievement in the world's eyes. And he said, you know what? I'm done with this. And he moved to become a, a, a you know, a, a lawyer for a different company where he has normal hours, can get home in time to see his kids, to preach the gospel in his home, to be in his church, to be in his neighborhood. But he gave up what the world espoused as achievement to find true happiness in advancing the gospel. I have another friend. Again, I told you, I'm trying to be practical here. We have another friend who, they lived in this giant house. And he worked nonstop to keep this house payment going. Overtime, every weekend. So he was like barely able to come to, you know, to community group uh, he was barely able to be at corporate worship. He was barely able to be home and tuck his kids in. Like, it was just nonstop. And finally, he was like, you know what? This is not worth it. The world says this is good. It says my big house is great. But it's, it's costing me the gospel advancement in my own life, in the life of my family, in the life of my neighborhood. So they sold this giant house, and they moved into this little tiny house with all of their kids. It was nuts. Like, I saw it and was like, yo, you guys are crazy. Like, this, this is not going to work. I had, like, no faith. And they slowly, like, renovated some things and expanded one bedroom. And, and, but it dropped their mortgage payment by, like, 1500 bucks a month. So he didn't have to work overtime anymore. He was able to be in the neighborhood. Be, he leads a marriage ministry now at the, at the church. All I have to say, he cared about what the gospel, how the gospel was advancing in his life and the world around him rather than what the world wanted. 
what the world said was good. So he found what I would say is a true joy that can't be taken away. Because it's the gospel. And the gospel will always be advancing, and we get to be a part of it, or we get to stand back and let others do it. So he, I would say that he found, found true happiness in that. So the resurrection, Jesus coming to new life in, you know, on the earth in human form, he, he starts new creation in that moment, and he breathes new life into us to where we can become his disciples to do what he did. He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And he breathes the Spirit into us, and he says, go be part of new creation. Don't live in the dark anymore. Bring, bring it into the light. Find freedom in that. Don't be chained to these things in the past. Live in the light and find freedom in that. He says, be conformed to my image. Look like me. Let my spirit work through you so you can do what I do and you can look like me and find true joy. And he says, live for the kingdom. Live for the proclamation of my victory over death and sin and evil and darkness. And it can never be taken away. Church, I want you to imagine something with me. We're so surrounded, even in Christian culture, by angry Christians proclaiming a truncated gospel that says, you're a sinner going to hell, you need Jesus. And the gospel is so much bigger than that. That we get to proclaim freedom in Jesus, that we get to proclaim new creation to say that your good that you do in Christ will carry on into eternity. Join us in this. Can you imagine what it would look like if we were able to go to our neighbors and say, yeah, you know what, I had this struggle for years, I've been freed from it. Can I pray with you about that? Can you imagine if you were able to say to your neighbors, hey, you know what? Your job really isn't the be-all, end-all. You can live for something eternal. It's a very different gospel, but the fullness of the gospel, right? To say that there's other things you can live for. Can you imagine if, if you could talk to your neighbors and they could feel victorious over the struggles that they were going through, knowing that it was making them into something greater than this life has to offer? Church, I pray that we can be freed by the resurrection, to be part of new creation, to live in the light, and to proclaim the gospel and to look like Jesus. Would you pray with me?